everlasting and that your, your light will shine Lord when everything else in the world will fade and I pray God that each and every one of us that our heart and our soul that we will give you control God let those words be more than just something that we sing but something that we seek to live God, heal us from the inside out, Lord. There is somebody here today who is broken, God, who needs to know, Lord, that you are present. There is somebody here today, God, battling depression. They need to know that you can heal, God. There is somebody here today who's got some issues in their families, God, who's got some issues at work, and they need to know that you are in control, God, from the inside out. God, and I pray that all of us, no matter what our story is, that we will be vulnerable unto you this day. That we won't worry about putting on the mask for the other attenders today, God, but that we will bring our, our authentic selves to the table. God, you can't fix what we won't face. So take all of us, God. Consume us. Help us to be willing to give you those things, Lord, that we are even holding tight to, God, that feel like they got such a stronghold on us, Lord, that we, we feel as though we can't live without it. Help us, God, to give you all of ourselves, that we may walk in the freedom and the liberty that you died that we might have. And I thank you for this time. We thank you for this hour, God. Now. I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, that it will be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my strength and my redeemer. We love you, and it's in your name we may pray. Amen. Amen. Take your seats, please. All right, let's give the Lord a clap of praise. Thank you, guys. Thank you all for being patient with me. And um, I just kind of wanted to sit in that moment. Uh, preachers, we are normally stingy. We want our time. And so uh, usually I'm looking at the clock like, hurry up, y'all. Hurry up, hurry up. I only got so much time. But uh, today I just felt the need that we worship corporately. And it was a, it's a day to celebrate, right? We claimed uh, two of our new young men for the Lord. That's wonderful, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it was pretty cool, and I love, I love moments like that in church. I mean, that's what the church family is about, that we can come together and we can celebrate the gift of new life, and, um, and we, we put those boys up. Uh, I told Matt to do Lion King. I wanted him to hold, him, hold them over the ledge, and um, he said he wasn't going to do it. So uh, whoever has the next baby, just know I'm standing on top of the drum cage, and I'm going to 
Mufasa you. And uh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, so cool, man. We are in this series entitled Identity. And, um, and we are looking at the things that makes us the church. Uh, some of the reasons why we gather, we, we talked about, Matt talked about, like, why do we come and actually sing songs? Like, what's the significance of that? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, why, why is there a sermon every week? Well, easily, because we're narcissists and we want you guys to listen to us. And so uh, uh, that's not true. Uh, but, you know, why do we do these things on Sundays? Today, we're going to talk about uh, why do we gather and why do we have baptism and communion, these things that we call the sacraments. Why do we do those things? And so uh, in thinking about this, I thought about this old preacher's story uh, about this wife who prepared dinner for a family. And so everybody gathered into the kitchen, and um, she cooked the pot roast. And uh, she got into the kitchen. Everybody came to kitchen, the husband, and the husband looks. And the same thing happens every time that she fixes the pot roast. Uh, the husband says, I really wish that you would cut the edges off the pot roast because when my mom cooked the pot roast, she always cut the edges off. And the wife was annoyed because every time since they've been married, she's had to hear this story about why his mom cut the edges off the pot roast. And so a little bit later, they found themselves at the in-law's house, and she just couldn't hold it anymore. She asked the mom, why, why did you cut the edges off the pot roast? Because every time we eat, I got to hear your son tell me, oh, I wish you would cut the edges off the pot roast just like my mom did. And her mom looked at her. His mom looked at her and laughed. She says, baby, the only reason I cut the edges off the pot roast is because I didn't have a pot big enough for the roast <laughs> so I had to cut the edges off so that the roast would fit in the pot there was no real reason the husband subscribed to a tradition that he truly didn't understand and I feel like church folk are kind of like that we do things just in behavior, in muscle memory, because that's what we've always done. And so we come together and we sing songs and we, we, we sit in seats. Uh, if you're from the old school, you know you go to Sunday school first, and then after that you go to church services. We have communion here. We do it every week. We do those things oftentimes out of tradition and muscle memory without really knowing why we do what we do. And so we're pausing for a few weeks to let you know there is actually a method or a purpose behind the behavior. And things change when you know why you do what you do. Can I make my point plain? I mean, let me go old school for y'all for a moment. I don't know if y'all remember the old karate kid. You remember the old karate kid? You remember when Daniel wanted to learn karate by Mr. Miyagi and he told Mr. Miyagi, I'm tired of getting my butt kicked by the Cobra Kai. And so Mr. Miyagi told him to come to his house and he said, I'm going to teach you karate. Here's what I want you to do. Wax in my car. Wax on, wax off. Then he goes home. The next day he comes back, man, teach me karate. He says, you want to learn karate? He says, yeah. Scrub my floor. Scrub, scrub. Then he said, okay. The next day he goes back. He says, I want to learn karate. He says, paint my fence. And then you painted the fence. Finally, Daniel is ticked off. He's like, I'm tired of coming here week after week, scrubbing your floors, doing all of your chores. There's got to be something. And all of a sudden, Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi, upset with Dame. Dame's upset with him. He said, let me show you. Let me show you what you're talking about. He said, scrub the floor. Paint the fence. And before you know it, what Daniel recognized is what seemed like meaningless activity to him was purposeful behind the reason why he really wanted to come there in the first place. That he was never just scrubbing floors. He was never just painting the fence. He was never just, uh, just waxing a car, waxing on and waxing off at purpose. Whop. I was practicing that the whole time. There was always purpose 
behind the behavior. And when you learn that there is purpose behind the behavior, it will always mean much more to you. So today we're going to look at a couple of traditions that we subscribe to as Christians, things that we do, things that Jesus commanded us to do. And I pray that for you, if it has not already become, but that it will never become a thoughtless tradition for you. Sacraments. Particularly for us, we talk about baptism and communion, or if you like me, the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so what's the difference? Because some of you all may have grown up like me in a tradition where they were not called sacraments, they were called ordinances. And so let me, let me, let's do a little groundwork real quick and kind of build the case and then we'll put it all together. The difference between an ordinance and a sacrament is real simple. An ordinance are the things that Jesus told us to observe with other Christians. And so basically we do or we were taught that the reason we baptize and the reason why we take communion was because Jesus ordained it. Jesus said, listen, when you get together, have the Lord's Supper. And when people come to Christ, baptize them. We do them only because Jesus said so. And so that's why we call them ordinances. Now, I'm not saying that one or the other is right or wrong because the reality is even if you're like us in our tradition where we refer to them as sacraments, they are still ordinances because Jesus ordained them to be so. We say that it's true. It's okay. It's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with that tradition. We look at it differently, though, different terminology, whatever you want to call it. We look at it as sacraments for this primary reason. A sacrament defined is a ceremonial act which results in God's grace being communicated to the individual. And so here, let me prove this point. Two things real quick. What we say within that is that they, number one, are signs, which means that they point to something different or other than themselves. Therefore, when we say they communicate God's grace, we are not saying that they are God's grace. We are saying that they point to God's grace. They show us God's grace. The second thing is this. They are seals, which means that God signifies or makes it known that the person receiving the sacrament has the quality it signifies, which means this. They are signs that make it known to the believer that God's grace is with you. And as a part of the church, we say that every time that we baptize and every time that we take communion, we are pointed to the reality that God's grace is alive and is living inside of the person who is either being baptized or the person taking communion. It is a sign and a seal for us. It makes it known that we are identified with him. It solidifies our connection, our communication with Christ himself, with the Christ story. And so we see this truth, especially concerning baptism. Check this out in Colossians 2, 12 and 14. And um, this is what you'll see. They'll put it on the screen. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So Paul basically shares with us three primary points that we are identified with Christ, which is basically the death the burial, and the resurrection. So when we baptize people, what we are communicating or are identifying with is the old you. 
dies, we bury him. The new you is resurrected and gets out of the pool into a new life. We say that we identify with Christ because of the sacrifice that he made. Our old self, the old man, as scripture says, has now died and is buried and now raised to new life. The death, burial, and the resurrection, we identify with that. That's why I love it. The old saints, man, just had a great perspective about things like this. I remember my granny used to say, baby, I went down in the pool, and when I came up, my hands looked new, and I looked at my feet, and they looked new too. There's something different about you there ought to be something different about you that works as we just finished singing from the inside out. It's not about the activity, but it's about the reason why we do the activity. That something new is happening on the inside of you. And when you come up, there is a new you that is taking place. So baptism points to the reality that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but we were giving new life through Christ by grace through faith. See it? It's, it's the sign. It points to new life. It's been sealed. It, the seal points back to the sign. This, there's something that's taking place inside of us. It's never just about water. It's never just about the moment. It's about the connection, the communion, the communication with Christ the King, Christ the Savior. It is a sign and a seal. That's why we do it publicly to let the world know that I have been, as Stevie Wonder said, signed, sealed, and delivered to the Lord. I am connected with him. But what about communion? Here at One Church, we take it every Sunday. I like that we take it every Sunday because in the scripture that we're about to read, you'll see Jesus say, hey, listen, as much as you can, do this in remembrance of me. I grew up in a tradition where we took it once a month. Uh, I like the fact that we do it every week because I think that every week we need to be reminded of what takes place. But let's see what the scripture tells us about it. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I love this because Paul recounts the teaching about communion that he's received. And I always love when scripture points to other scripture with other stories because it's told that uh, Paul, Paul here, he's actually mentioning what Luke records in the gospel of Luke chapter 22. Paul's pointing to that scripture, or rather Luke is pointing to the conversation that he had with Paul because Luke traveled with Paul, Luke learned with Paul. And so the scriptures kind of point to one another. And Paul is pointing to this teaching that we have um, have been have absorbed in our culture and we're looking at it and what Paul is telling us is that as Jesus and his disciples sat at the table the Lord let them know I want to institute something in the life of the body that you guys will see how great the sacrifice that I've made for you and so he tells the story they sat at the table and at the table Jesus takes the bread he breaks it he gives thanks and he passes and he lets them know hey this is this is my body that was broken for you Take it and eat. 
Then after they finished eating, he took the cup and he, he passed the cup in the same way. He says, listen, in the same sense, here is the cup. The cup represents my blood that was broken for you. What's the significance of that? Here it is basically is in Old Testament times, basically up until this point where Jesus instituted this new covenant, what we would have had to do as believers is this. Rather than taking communion every week or, 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 or the rituals that we do, every year we'd have to go to the temple and we'd have to slaughter an animal for our sins. And what Jesus is saying, I'm canceling that out because what I'm about to institute to you is something that will cancel your sins for the rest of eternity. No longer will you have to go to the temple and slaughter a bull or a goat or a dove or a pigeon dependent upon your financial stance. No longer will you have to do that. What I'm giving to you now is something that will outlive you, will outlive your children, the new covenant that will be there for you that will be everlasting and ever-changing for your lives. And so there's this theological phrase that Jesus is talking about is this thing that we know as substitutional atonement. Jesus is saying, no longer will you have to do that because I'm going to be your substitute. I'm going to take your place. And because I'm going to take your place, now you will be at one with God. That means he's the mediator. He stands in between humanity and God, holds our hands and brings us together. Jesus says, I'm going to be your substitutionary sacrifice or substitutionary atonement that no longer will you have to carry the burden of your sins. No longer will you have to worry about the things that condemn you. No longer will you have to worry about whether or not you're accepted by God. I'm telling you that you are accepted because my body was broken for you. And you are accepted by God because my blood was shed for you on Calvary's cross that you will have life. I am coming in your place. It's almost like going to court. I love this uh, D.A. Horton, who's a hip-hop theologian. He talks about this. He says, listen, when you think about what substitutionary atonement is, it really looks like this. It's like somebody called a, uh, called a case on the block. They called a case on the block. They went before the judge. As you're standing before the judge, you are guilty as charged. Everything that the judge said that you did, you did it. You did it. You are guilty. And when it comes time to pronounce your sentence, Jesus stands up in the court and says, I understand that he's guilty, judge. I understand that they're guilty, your honor. But let me take their place and I'll receive the penalty for their crime. So every time that we take communion, what we're recognizing is the reality that we are proven guilty, yet we are innocent in the eyes of God because Jesus shed his blood so that you and I might have freedom through Christ. It is the new covenant. So here's the thing. We put them both together. Baptism, death, burial, and resurrection. Communion. We recognize that his body was broken and that his blood was shed. What's the two have in common? The cross of Jesus Christ. The reason why we baptize and the reason why we'll take communion here in a moment isn't easy just because of the conversations that we just read about. But the reason why those conversations were even had in the first place. Because the reason why we gather each and every Sunday is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross that has given us life. Because as Paul said in the scripture that we just read, all of our sins have been nailed to the cross. We have new life because of the cross. It points to the cross and Paul talks about this. Last scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. And he says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 
For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, don't be alarmed there by the fact that Paul is talking to the people and saying, listen, the Lord did not send me here to baptize. He is not preaching against baptism. What he's preaching against is the reality that there were many people, especially within the Corinthian church, who were baptizing in the name of individuals. And what Paul was saying, listen, baptism isn't really the important thing, so I'm glad that I did not baptize many of you. What I want you to know, it's not so much about the baptism, but it's about the message of the cross. And the message of cross has power alone. And I love it. He says, listen, the message of cross is so good that it does not even need to be preached with eloquence. It's not about the word. I love it. Preachers, we have this thing that we do when we're in one another's company. We'll talk about somebody and we'll ask, well, you know, can he preach? Can she preach? And I don't understand that because if we're talking about Jesus and if we're talking about the message of the cross, well, if they talk about Jesus and the message of the cross, well, yeah, they could preach. It doesn't matter how eloquent they are, how articulate they are. It doesn't matter what type of seminary degree they have. None of that matters. What matters is, do they believe in the message of the cross? And sometimes we get so consumed and concerned with things outside of the cross, trying to figure out what sounds good to our ears, forgetting that if the cross did not happen, everything else that we talk about has no relevance whatsoever. It's about the message of the cross. And Paul says, listen, to the unbeliever, to the ones who have not been converted, it sounds like foolishness. Eshan Burgundy, one of my favorite rappers, he says it like this. He says, the blueprint of the movement is the crucifix. And it sounds like foolishness if you only have the usage of your brain. Because it's not about your mind, it's about what's transformed inside of your heart. And when you really understand the power of the cross, the power of the cross, Paul says that the message of the cross and its power, it's the power of God. The word power there is the word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. It's so powerful. It's so explosive. It should be life-changing to each and every one of us. Well, why is that? Well, because of the importance of the pertinence of the message of the cross, which speaks, basically says this. The message of the cross tells us this. It tells us about the state of humanity and the fact that we were dying in our transgressions and sins and we were without hope and without help. And Jesus saw us, number two, it was about the state of humanity. The second thing is about the heart of God. And when God saw the state of humanity that we were broken and that we were condemned, he sent his son wrapped in human flesh to become a perfect sacrifice for each and every one of us so that we would die, number three, and have eternal life. That we would not be condemned and that we would have the promises of God. The message of the cross tells you and I, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter about the sins that you committed. It doesn't matter how condemned you feel by humanity. The message of cross says, we all have a right to be here because Jesus Christ came, he bled, he died, and he rose on the third day so that you and I can have life. It's not about the pool. It's not about the bread. It's about the story of Jesus. And the story of Jesus says, we didn't do anything to belong here, but Jesus made sure that we could. The power of the cross says it doesn't matter about what you do. It only matters about what he did. That's why we baptize. And that's why we take communion. And I don't know about you. And as much as I pray and study and read, sometimes I need to be reminded about that message. So in a moment, we're going to ask you to collide at the table. 
Don't just look at that as a loaf of bread and, and some juice in a cup. No. Paul says, listen, when Jesus, Jesus instituted this, he let them know this bread represents my body that was broken for you. And I'm not going to act like you know the story, so let me tell you what Jesus was pointing to. Because this occurred the night before he was arrested. He says, listen, tomorrow they're going to arrest me. And they're going to drag me in front of a mock court. And they're going to humiliate me. And not only are they going to humiliate me, but they are going to beat my back and my face and my body bloody until I'm unrecognizable. They beat him with this thing that's called the cat of nine tails, which was essentially this whip that had hooks and broken bone and glass in it. And every time they hit our Lord with it, it shattered his flesh, tore his body to pieces. He said, listen, when you, when you take of this bread, recognize that my body is being broken. And the only reason that I can stand it is because of you. He says, the cup. Represents my blood. Old Testament says there can be no forgiveness of sin without first having the shedding of blood. And so as his blood was being shed, as he's hanging on the cross, the only reason he didn't call the angels down. And the only reason he didn't get down off the cross himself is because he recognized that I've got to shed my blood so that my children can live. It's not just that bread. It's not just that cup. It's the life that you have. And whether or not you accept it, someone died so that you can live. And in this day that we live in, it wasn't an army. Someone died. His name was Jesus so that you could have life and that you can live it to the fullest. So I'm going to pray. And the um, worship team is going to sing. And we're going to meet at the table. And when you do, remember, don't worry about who's behind you, who's next to you. Don't rush past the moment. Take your time and do this in remembrance of him, his body that was broken. And it's blood that was shed so that you can have life. Let us pray. God, I thank you so much that for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, scorning its shame. God, you counted all the embarrassment, all the punishment, all the pain. You counted it as nothing because of what you were sent to do. And so, Lord, may we receive in this season, Lord, where we can be so discouraged by what we see on television, what we read through social media, what we hear in our own families and community. God, may we re be reminded, Lord, that you claimed victory 2,000 years ago. And Lord, that we, we live through that and through that alone. So help us, God, individually to be consumed by the message of the cross.
the death, burial, and the resurrection, the broken body and the blood that was shed. And may that become our strength that we may live our lives fully. We thank you. We love you. And it's in your precious name we do pray. Amen. 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 Meet us at the table, please.